She's a former identification technician for the Chicago Police Department. Her husband was a police detective in Chicago Police Department. He was shot in the line of duty and then died a few years later in a plane crash. She's here to talk about the experience and how it motivates her to do her radio show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Another reason to like and follow us on Facebook, the mobile Facebook app. You can listen to the podcast there for free. So if you ever miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today show, it's always on the mobile Facebook app. You know the one on your phone, which is free. It's easy to access the podcast and great articles, much more. By the way, feel free to send me a message. Say hello. If I can help you, let me know. That's on our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Be sure to click like and follow. Calling us from Tucson, Arizona, we have Sherry Harrison on the phone. Sherry is a former law enforcement spouse also worked in law enforcement herself, and she's a host, a radio host of the Law Matters radio show. Website is lawmatters1030.org. Sherry, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Thank you for having me. And by the way, it's returning a favor because you had me on your show not the, a few months ago. Yeah, I did. And it was a great yeah, experience, I and I think a, a pretty good conversation, to be honest with you. Yeah, kindred spirits, for sure. Before we get into what you're doing today, and Sherry has a radio show, and I want to tell you from experience, that is no easy proposition. It's a lot of work. Those who think, hey, you go in, you push a button, you talk, and then you leave after four hours is a lot more work than that, but we'll talk about that in a moment. What I didn't know about Sherry is you came from a law enforcement background, correct? I did, yes. My husband was a... Uh, uh, Burglary detective out of the 9th District, and I worked at headquarters at 1121 South State Street at the time for Chicago Police. I was an identification technician. So both of you were served in police work? We Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. I know a lot of um, people are reluctant in your field to say, well, no, I didn't really serve, but you did. It, look, the identification section is no easy task. It was a fun task, actually. I in, I enjoyed it. I got to see some of the fingerprints of some renowned criminals who are still in the system because we never got a death certificate on them, uh, like Al Capone. His prints are still there. And, you know, just other people. And it's like, wow, this is really... And back then, when I was doing it, they didn't have the computer system. You had to physically paper, go through the file, and match... With uh, Henry Glass, you had to match the print to what was in the file to find the person. So It's a it lot different than today. Exactly. A lot different. Well, one of the things, and I, I've told my wife this before, we'll watch some of these like CSI type shows, and, and they start the finger fingerprint comparison. We had APHIS, uh, I think Automated Fingerprint Identification System, from right. early on in my career. So 
doing matches and searching the database was relatively quick, but they still had to go through and score different things in a fingerprint, correct? Right. And if you're going to appear in court, you really had to make sure that you you had the points exactly to say, yes, this is that person. I'm glad you said that because it's just not the computer match. Whenever there's a match, you have to confirm it with an expert. Exactly. Because the computer can't testify in court, correct? (laughs) That's right. And the same goes for facial recognition software that so many people are up in arms about. All they can do is say, uh, more than likely, it might be one, two, three, four, top 10 people that could be. Someone else has to do comparison because it has to be a human being. It has to be. You can't, yeah, a machine can't go to court. You have to have somebody, an expert in the field to go in and testify. So how long did you do that? Well, after my husband was killed, I wasn't interested in being there anymore. I was in there for a couple of years, and then I transferred to a different area, to a safer area. When you say after your husband was killed, he was killed in in a plane crash a couple of years after he was shot, correct? Right. Um, we were actually only married to about three years. I was a widow at 23. And he had been shot serving a, a, a warrant at Cabrini Green, which was a housing project in Chicago. And about a year and a half later, almost two years later, he was killed in a plane crash. Before we go so into I'm, details of him being shot, how did you two meet? Was it like love at first sight? Was it... He comes in for fingerprint stuff all the time. You're like, hey, he's a burglary detective. And we start talking. We start chatting. Next thing you know, one thing leads to another. No, nothing that excited. I knew him all my life. (laughs) I knew him all my life. Uh, We were kids. Our families knew each other. And he decided to go to the Chicago police and, and become a detective. And I thought, okay, why not? So I went to Chicago police and became a, um ID technician. And then after things happened, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I, I kind of left that area. Does it seem like it was a lifetime ago, or does it seem like just uh, a, a few weeks ago? You know, it depends. When I hear stories where, you know, I know somebody's getting that phone call, your husband's been shot, um, or, you know, your husband's not with us anymore, it, it all comes flooding back to me. And... There are times when, you know, I can go for weeks and months and not even have an event. And all of a sudden there is an event and it all comes flooding back to me. You provide something I don't usually talk about. I get it. There's a lot of things in my career I still don't talk about with people. And main reason why is because of the stupid questions. And I, I try to be polite about it and I just can't do it anymore. To be honest with you, Sherry, when people say stupid things, I, I let them know it. Yeah, I, I I just can't. Um, there are things that you just don't want to keep reliving. No. And, and you provide a perspective that we don't get to hear of very often. And by the way, in the news media, let's just say this. And it's been this way for as long as I can remember. Back in the 1980s, they always had a twisted perception and presentation of any kind of news stories involved police. And yeah. when a police officer shot... Two things happen. They'll say uh, the, the injuries aren't life-threatening. They'll survive, and that's the end of the story. Or, yeah. and they never talk about how that impacts them or their family or what they have to go through to get back on the streets, or they're killed. And after a few days, it's as if that story never occurred. However, you throw in there the slightest bit of 
controversy or something they can create to be controversial, and it becomes a, a, a something that lasts three, four, five news cycles, four or five days. And that's something that is is kind of disturbing to me because lately they've had um, some shootings, some arrests that normally would be, you know, okay, he's got a bad actor, they went and arrested him. When you've got a bad actor who misbehaves and gets combative and tries to harm the policeman and ends up getting hurt and or dead, all of a sudden it's, you know, they're turning it into this black and white issue. If anybody went back and looked at the criminal careers some of these people had, they'd realize that, you know, no, they, they've been a bad person all their lives. And what's happening now is they're glorifying these people. They're, they're putting them on a pedestal. They're painting murals of their faces. So what are you going to do? You're going to have a whole other generation of bad actors because this person was in and out of prison all his life. And look, everybody loves him. Yeah, and and unfortunately, they Very also do that with they do it with terrorists and serial killers, unit bombers, you name it. All of a sudden, oh, their yeah. manifesto becomes front page news. We're talking with Sherry Harrison. Sherry is here to talk about her unique perspective of being a law enforcement officer's spouse who was shot in a line of duty and was subsequently killed in a plane crash a couple of years later. And now she has a radio show called Law Matters Ten Thirty. This is the Law Enforcement Show. We're in a short break. We will be right back. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L.E.T. Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. The Officer Down Memorial Podcast tells the real stories of the men and women we've lost in the line of duty. It is one of the darkest days in Itasca County's history. From the officers who were there. He's probably maybe one of the best investigators and a natural born one. And family and friends who were left behind. We try and get distance from people's tragedies, but the death of Beefy, it just shot home to all of us how permanent murder is. You can subscribe to the Officer Don Memorial Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Return our conversation with Sherry Harrison on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Sherry is a spouse of a police officer, a police detective from Chicago. She also worked as an identification technician in the Chicago Police Department. Now she is a radio show host out of Tucson, Arizona. Her radio show is called Law Matters. The website is lawmatters1030.org. Earlier in the conversation, Sherry, we talked about how and your husband met. I was hoping there'd be some sort of like hallmark story. We met each other, starry crossed eyes, all that stuff, but you knew we cut each other's kids. <laughs> we did. <laughs> well, that's kind of nice in and of itself. And, and then, you know, you wound up getting married. Was he in law enforcement already or did you get married and then he went in law enforcement? Oh, no. He was in law enforcement already. In fact, he was a detective when I married him. So he he'd been on the job older a while. Than oh, he'd yeah. been on the job. People don't come into police work and start as a detective. I know people love to think that happens. It's very rare. What happens is you work patrol for a couple of years, and then you work your way up the ranks. So he'd been at it a while. He had been at it a while, yeah. He was uh, in law enforcement for at least 10 years before we got married. And when he was working as a burglary detective, 
by the way, fingerprints are very important in burglary investigations. Is that what prompted you get into the identification technician field? Actually, it was because he, he would find evidence and, you know, I know that's the item that was stolen, but we have to prove it. So it has to be dusted for fingerprints. And, you know, we'd get prints and we'd compare them and we'd find the bad guy. It was easy. Yeah, if the prints were there. And by the way, they're not often there. They're not always there. And here's one thing I take exception to with these CSI shows. Fingerprints on handguns are very rare. I mean, we I remember a case years and years ago where we got a hit off of fingerprint off of ammunition from a semi-automatic weapon. Getting them off the yeah. grips of the gun was very rare. Yeah, it's true. And people and think you're covering something up if you can't find fingerprints on a gun. Well, how do you know it's his? You know, I've never watched them show CSI. Is that NCSI, whatever it's called? I've I never watched it. I keep track of them. There's so many of them, to be honest with you. I don't watch them at all. <laughs> My wife and I will watch BBC police content before we watch American police, uh, TV content for about policing. <laughs> it's more realistic. <laughs> it's more realistic and they do a better job of character development and it's not so stereotypical. Because here's something I'm sure you can relate to. Every relationship is different. The people in it are different, and there's no one cookie-cutter style relationship for a law enforcement relationship, marriage, whatever you want to call it. No, you're right. It's, it's, everything is different. Everybody's different, so and you, how you approach things are different. I think the thing that I, I miss the most about you know working with him was getting him ready to go out. I would dress him like he was a bum or a homeless person, and he'd go out down to, um, what was the name of that area, down by Halstead Street, and they'd find who they were looking for because they were in disguise. <laughs> it was great. They'd look like, you know, the local garbage man. They were in suit and ties. And I told him that when he got shot, he walked into Cabrini Green wearing a suit. I said, nobody walks into Cabrini Green wearing a suit unless they're a cop. What's the matter with you? You're unfortunately very right. Uh, Some of my undercover stuff involved construction outfits in construction trucks. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is old. I can say it now. Driving a yellow cab, you could follow anybody anywhere in that thing. That was great. Uh, but I looked like, um, you know, long haired, bearded, earring wearing, even yeah, then they could tell you're police. Yeah. But if, if you were wearing a suit, forget about it. People knew right away. You're either probation, parole or cop. You're a cop. There you are. You can spot him a block away. So he walked in to do, a serve a warrant in Cabrini Green, which by the way, was a high rise public housing project. And he was shot, correct? Right, and they had since torn the building down, and it was by Goose Island. They've torn all that down. I'm not sure what's replaced it, I think, office buildings, but, yeah, they've cleaned that whole area out. How did you find out? My brother told me. I don't know how he found out to this day. My brother told me that that happened. Did he call you and let you know, or did he show up at your door? He showed up at my door. See, we were always taught you do, you do, and in your case, your husband survived the shooting, but we do the notifications in person. And when it's a spouse involved with an officer being shot, we never do use a phone. It's always a uniformed officer, a commander if possible, that would go over their door. And so many spouses, so many survivors have told me, 
You know, I didn't think anything was wrong or I suspected something was wrong. And then when they showed up my door, I knew it was on. I knew something was wrong. And the same thing happened with um, when he was killed. My brother, his plane went missing, actually. And my brother, being a pilot, was one of the people searching for his airplane. And I don't know who found the plane. I remember there was a radio show host who was conducting a over-the-air search party looking for this aircraft that was missing. And I didn't know it was missing. I was at work. I worked, uh, I had a side gig at um, the Chicago Board of Trade. I was at the Chicago Board of Trade when when my brother came to me and told me that it was John, that he that he crashed. And six months later, my brother was killed in a plane crash. That's a lot uh, of death and trauma to go through. And I'm not poking light at that or, or being sarcastic. It's it's more than one person you have to go through in a lifetime. Well, you know, it, there's, you don't realize, you know, I was raised where, you know, stiff upper lip. My parents were both in the Marine Corps. So you didn't, you didn't, react you're supposed to take care of business and it wasn't until about two years ago i was honorary commander at davis mountain air force base and they invited me to the air show and i was excited i went to the air show had not been to one since all that happened and when they started the stunt pilots started doing what they were doing i had to leave i had a panic attack i had to get out of there and i have not been back and I didn't realize all these years later that I would react that way. But, you know, sometimes something will happen and it just all floods back. And, and to me, that's totally understandable. There's still things I don't do. There's things I don't want to see. My wife jokes, we watch football. I cover my eyes when I see injuries because they love to replay them. And I, I just, I'm not suited for that anymore. There was a time I could do that. But all the yeah. things I went through in law enforcement, I just can't see it anymore. I can't take it. Yeah. And it's it's not fun to talk about it, but like you said, if you you don't talk about it, you know, other people don't understand what you're going through or what you went through or in some cases what they might be going through. And you know, I'm this is the first time I've talked about it. Well, we're going to do this. We're going to take a short break. When we come back. We return to our conversation with Sherry Harrison and she can talk about the incident where her husband was shot life for them afterwards prior to the plane crash and whatever she is able to talk about she is the host of a popular radio show in tucson arizona called law matters her website is lawmatters1030.org this is law enforcement today's show we're gonna take a short break we'll be right back has this ever happened to you You sign up for a free email newsletter and within hours you're receiving tons of spam That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign up area. That's letradioshow.com. Our conversation with Sherry Harrison on the Law Enforcement Today show. Sherry is a former Chicago Police Department identification technician. Her husband was a burglary detective out of the 9th District for Chicago PD. He was killed in a plane accident 
a couple of years after being shot. And we kind of talked about this before, Sherry. And Sherry's a host of a radio show in Tucson, Arizona called Law Matters. Her website's lawmatters1030.org. Sherry, we talked about this earlier. If there's something you cannot talk about, just say, hey, I can't. And I realize it's not something you talk about often, but we never get to hear from spouses, or very rarely, spouses of officers who are shot in the line of duty. It's just something that doesn't happen. Well, when um, you asked me when how I heard about it, my brother told me about my, my husband being killed. When he was shot, I got a phone call from uh, the hospital saying, your husband's been shot, you need to come down here. And that's all they said. They wouldn't say if he was dead or alive. They wouldn't say what happened, nothing. I got in a cab and I went down to the hospital. And that's something that, <laughs> you know, the anxiety, the lack of support, and we're talking a long, long time ago, and I know things have gotten a lot better since then, but it, it was just such a surreal moment going into this hospital and asking, where is he? And walking in and seeing him, and he he was shot. He was it, The bullet went into... He had his arm up, his right arm up, holding the gun. The bullet went into by the wrist area and circled the bone and came out by the elbow area. No broken bones. They put bandages on him, told him what to do to take care of it. And he was in shock. And so was I. Yeah. And it was just like, that was way too close. That that should never happen. First of all, you should never be notified that way. Even back when I was a rookie, when officers were shot, they always sent, and they survived, they always sent a uniform car to go pick up the spouse. They wouldn't have the spouse find out, A, by telephone from the hospital, and B, having to take a cab with all that fear and anxiety. Yep. That's what happened. What year was this? We're talking 1970, 1970. Even still, I I don't think it should have been that way. I'm no expert on their policies and procedures, but I guarantee they don't do things like that anymore. Yeah, I know they don't. Thank God. Thank God. Your mind must have been going, you know, 7,000 miles a minute riding that taxi cab. Oh, yeah, and he couldn't get there fast enough for me because I didn't know what to expect when I got there. But when I got there, I, you know, I realized that, well, maybe they didn't, they didn't send somebody to hold my hand because he was technically okay. But the trauma, the anxiety, the emotional part of it, the mental part of it. And every time I hear somebody on the news say, you know, an officer was shot, I just think that poor family I hope they take care of that family because the ripple effect, people don't understand the ripple effect of an incident like that. It's a sound bite in the news, but the family, the family, it's huge. He had physical injuries that were not life-threatening, obvious, which is great. However, the mental impact of being shot for him had to be devastating and for you had to be equally as devastating. Yeah, the the trauma of going through that, it, it takes a while to, like, okay, it's okay. But he was okay. It's If that bullet had been a few inches to the right or to the left, it would have been a different story. So that part of it plays with your head. 
So it, it was it was a close call. How long was his physical rehabilitation? Um, probably about three months. He he's not one to sit around. He was also in the Marine Corps, so he's not one to sit around and you know feel bad for himself or or you know take pity on me. I was I'm wounded. He. He got up and, you know, and I think that a lot of that stuff just stays in the back of your head. Back then, like my dad, you didn't complain about what happened during World War II. You, you know, toughen up because that's just the whole attitude back then. You have to be tough. You know, I don't know the answer. I I know many people, I had relatives who were World War II vets. They were great until they started drinking, and the next thing you know, like someone flipped a light switch, and it was game on. Uh, we had Korean War veterans. We had Vietnam veterans, and I think all of them paid a heavy, heavy price. So we just didn't hear about it from yeah. the World War II and Korean War veterans. We didn't start hearing about it until, I think, nationally, until Vietnam. Vietnam, yeah. And it, it just wasn't the manly thing to do. And you know, my dad served in Iwo Jima. He was there from the first day of the invasion until it was secured. And you would never hear him talk about that. And But when he'd sleep, sometimes he'd have these horrible nightmares, and he'd throw things. He'd yell, hit the deck, and, you know, and throw my mother on the floor and throw ashtrays and pottery, whatever he could find. He'd be throwing things like they were grenades. And... You know, Dad, wake up, wake up. And he'd say, what? What's the matter? <laughs> like, nothing happened. Well, well, go back to sleep. Yeah, this yeah. is a different era. And I, I don't think, I want to clarify something. I don't want people to think that I believe that somehow or another, today's generation is softer or complains more. I think they just wore it differently. And the amount of people that drank themselves to death that did all these other things that were abusive, self-destructive, were astronomical back then. Yeah. And it re- really, we didn't start becoming aware of the effects of trauma until, I think, 60s and 70s. It was always there. It's just something we didn't talk about as a nation. And even now, let's just say we started talking about 1975. All right, let's be generous. 1980. How many years ago was that? And we still haven't made as much progress as we should. Through that so true and it's not yeah. just it's not just that the the officers involved it's the spouses I, i've met so many spouses who have been permanently traumatized to the point where there's life before this incident and life after is, is that a good way for you to describe your life there's life before him being shot him dying in a plane crash and life after yeah it is it, it took a long time before i even thought about dating it was like 10 years after, I just, I don't want any part of this. I don't want to get involved. It hurts too bad. Leave me alone. (laughs) And it was, it was over 10 years. And before I even dated again. But once you started, was that a big transition for you as well? Yeah, it was because, you know, you have to try to trust somebody and, and, know that they, they've they got your back if you've got their back. And it it was difficult, and it didn't last. 
Yeah, I find the funny thing is my wife and I joke about this all the time. And this is our second marriage for both of us. And yeah, please work really killed my first marriage. And it was through no fault of hers and really no fault of mine. We just did not have the tools back then that we have today. So I, I want to clarify yeah. that. And it took me a long time to become okay with that and accept the reality of it. But one of the things we say is when we both divorced the first time, we swore we would never, ever, 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 ever get married again. Wouldn't do any serious dating. As a matter of fact, I was so bad, Sherry, that the women I was dating, if they if they called and said, hey, I thought you were calling on Tuesday and they were mad at me, I never talked to them again. I was so bad. I was the exact <laughs> opposite of the guy I used to be. And then I met my wife. And guess what happened? About three months later, I'm like, I love you. Will you marry? And I'm it's like trying to catch the words <laughs> that come out of my mouth. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're talking with Sherry Harrison. Interesting conversation uh, about her life as a law enforcement spouse. Her officer husband was shot in the line of duty and then wound up being killed in a plane crash a few years later. Now she is the host of a radio show, amongst other things, in Tucson, Arizona. Law Matters is the name of the show. Her website is lawmatters1030.org. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store, so join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. Return conversation with Sherry Harrison on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Sherry is a former law enforcement officer spouse. She was an identification technician for the Chicago Police Department. Her husband was a burglary detective out of the 9th District for Chicago Police Department. He was shot in the line of duty. He survived the shooting only to be killed in a plane crash a few years later. And Sherry, first of all, thank you for talking about this. I know it's not easy if you talk about it. It's not something you talk about very often. No, I don't. I don't talk about it. I have friends here who have no idea what my history is. Well, the funny thing is, I was a guest on your radio show quite a while ago, and then we said, "Ah, "By the way, we got to get you on my show." The little you know, turnabout's fair play type thing, and he said, "Oh yeah, I was uh, this this, and my husband was this this in Chicago." Beat. I'm like, get out of here! I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, I. I kind of left that life behind me when I moved to Tucson. So I I just, I'm sorry, I can't talk about it. That's all right. How long have you been in Tucson? Since 92. Okay. So you've been there quite a while. You're almost like at the native status now. You've been there so long, right? Well, I tell people this is a suburb of Chicago. <laughs> I moved to the burbs. <laughs> I've heard many people that moved to Vegas or Arizona from, from the upper Midwest. So when you get there, there there comes a point in your life after. And and no, none of this is what you wanted. And I'm going to paraphrase that. I know it's difficult for you to talk about. Your husband was shot in the line of duty. He survived, thank goodness, only be killed as a private pilot in a plane crash a couple of years later. And then, I believe it was your brother who was killed in a plane crash as well? My, my brother was killed in a plane crash, and I heard about that on the news. I was listening to the news, and they flashed his picture and the crash scene on the news without notifying the family. The crash happened in Oklahoma, 
at um, Olden, Oklahoma City, and he wasn't the pilot at the time. Somebody else was flying, and uh, apparently they didn't think it was necessary to notify the family. You found out courtesy of the news. After all this, did you have like a real uh, split from the law enforcement field where like, I don't want anything to do with these people. I don't want to talk to them. I want to start a new life. Actually, I came down here. I became a paralegal and met met some people. And I got a phone call one day while I was in an attorney's office from uh, an FBI agent asked me if I knew somebody. And I was working for this attorney, and I said, yeah, I know this this person who lives in California. And they said, would you be willing to work with us on this project we've got going? We need information. And I said, sure. And I didn't hear from anybody for like six months. Then I get another phone call from an FBI agent, a different one, saying, we need you to do this, that, and the other. So I was doing that for about three years, recording stuff and getting information. And after all that was done... I got nominated for the FBI Citizens Academy, so I I went through their Citizens Academy, which is pretty spectacular. And when I got out of that, it was when the officers in, in Texas were being shot just because of their uniform. And then I went back to the FBI and said, why don't we start a live radio show and see if we can you know, ease the tensions and open the lines of communication. So they said, okay, let's do that. And I had never done radio, but that happened in 2016 and we've been doing it ever since. I sense there's an absence of the word I can't or I don't know from your vocabulary. You figure it out as you go along. I just kind of figured it out as I go along. But we've had all the agencies on. They come on. They they talk about what's going on. They are, they're there to answer questions. It's a live show. People can call in and, and get, you know, moan and groan or praise them, say thank you, whatever the case may be. And, you know, it's it's been very positive. It's been received here. Very, you know, people enjoy the show. What prompted you to say, let's do radio? I mean, where does it come from? What part of your head goes, I'm going to do a radio show about this? <laughs> I know, right? Um, because I knew I couldn't do TV. And the only radio station I knew of, you know, that wouldn't, wasn't going to charge me a whole bunch. Uh, it's like 1300 a month. Um, was down there by the, the military base. So I went to them and said, hey, I'd like to do this radio show. And they said, okay, when do you want to do it? I said, Saturday mornings, 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, but nothing later. So we do it every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. And like this week, I've got the Pima County attorney coming on. People want to talk to her. Want to, what are you doing? What are you doing for us? What's coming up? What are you changing and why? People want to talk to these people. We've had state troopers on, uh, FBI agents, DEA, where they've all been on. And we've had some guests that have been on both shows, and we do a little things a little bit differently here on my show than you do. However, the stories, you know, these people, whether it be state troopers, whether it be DEA, FBI, retirees, spouses, they don't get a platform to tell their stories very often. And nowadays, exactly. if, unless they go through the public information officer get approval, they can't talk. Exactly. The First Amendment does not apply if you are in law enforcement. I'm just telling you that right now. You're a representative of an agency, and they don't want you talking about stuff. 
Well, it's interesting because I think they've gotten used to us. We're not going to put them on the spot. We're going to listen to what they have to say because they don't get the opportunity to tell their story or tell us what's going on. And like the other thing we do is uh, host shows, uh, presentations, I should say. Uh, we've got one coming up on the 2nd of April where we're going to be talking to people about sex trafficking. Um, Law Matters does that free for the community so that people who need to know who maybe can't afford to buy a ticket to get in can actually get their butt in the seat and listen to what's going on and protect yourself and your family. And all the agencies get involved with that. That's a huge undertaking. I, I want to go back to, I decided I want to do a radio show. Did you have your, any of this <laughs> other stuff on your vision of this will be down the road in the future? No. <laughs> no, I I thought, okay, we'll be on the air for maybe, you know, a couple of months. I was sure at six months they'd kick us off the air. But the show just kind of grew and grew an audience and... People are like, and I get suggestions. People tell me, you know, you should have this person on or that person on. I've had agencies call in and say, I want to be on your show. I got a call from a special agent from the IRS saying, hey, a friend of mine from the FBI said I should be on your show. What's your show about? <laughs> so we've got them all on, and they know that I'm not going to sit here and and try to throw them under the bus in any way. I want to hear what you have to say. What's going on in your line of field? What do you What do you have to talk about? What can we learn from your job? Educate us. What amazes me about you is you took, and somehow or another, I, I know it sounds too easy to put into a little radio ball here, but you went through all this trauma in your personal life with your husband being in law enforcement, you working in law enforcement, him being shot, him dying in a plane crash, your brother dying in a plane crash. You had two choices. Uh, I could run, try to hide and bury this, or I could try to find a new life. But you took that new life and you expanded and say, I'm going to do a radio show on top of all this. That's pretty bold. Well, I think people need to know the backstory of a lot of things. I, I talk to a lot of people who do tell us about their journey through law enforcement and I talked to a lot of people who have no idea that I was ever involved with law enforcement <laughs> because I just don't talk about me. Well, that's one um, of the things that you and I have in common. Uh, uh, every now and then, in the last year or so, I started opening up more about my career, but only when it applies to the conversation. The show's not about me. It's not about what I went through. It's about the guest and their stories. And that's where the real power exactly. is in these stories. We're almost out of time. So where can people get more information? I know you got a podcast version, which is a lot easier to listen to for people across the United States, the globe for that matter. Where can they find you? Uh, Lawmatters1030.org. Uh, there's a podcast button there, or you can listen live right through that um, button that says listen now. <laughs> and it's it's um, just about everything we've done is on there. Not everything, but just about everything we've done is on there. And you can get in touch with Sherry at lawmatters1030.org, correct? Right. My email address is there. My phone number is there. Everything is right there on the on the uh, website. Sherry, thanks so much for being a guest on Law Enforcement Today's show. Thanks for all you do. It's all very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, 
please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.